日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Hey, welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast. This is Chris here with Nate. Hi, how you doing? And today we're going to finish up our Kamakura period podcast,、uh, mainly、uh, the later Kamakura period with the Mongol invasions. Yes, this will just be a, a basic going over and discussion of it. We'll save you know, detailed discussion of it for a, a later podcast, I think. Yeah, it definitely warrants a full, a full on podcast treatment at some point. But for now, since we're just sort of Skating through Japanese history to give you a rundown and overview, that's what this will be. Right.、Uh, but anyway, moving to the next, time, next big timeline event, and we find you know, towards the end of the 1260s that events in the, on the continent are going to affect Japan,、uh, and they haven't really affected Japan for a long time now. Probably for about, what, since the 7th century or so? Yeah.、Uh, once Japan lost its、uh, foothold on the Korean Peninsula, you know, we have、uh, the worry about Japan being invaded, and which precipitates the creation of the,、uh, the national、uh, military in the 700s, and then that being abolished because, you know, okay. Invasion's not going to come. We don't have to worry about it. And they, they abolish the,、uh, the, the Taiho draft system at、uh, the end of the 700s、uh, under、right. Emperor Kamo. Which sort of resulted, which was the, the sort of the seed that、yeah. planted the, the warlords, the local warlords. Right, the as we talked armies, about. Which then, as we talked way, about. Yeah, which yeah. then snowballed all the way to what we have yeah, right now. So, what we, what, we, what we have as far as dealings with the continent up until this point are. Trade somewhat, but also you know, religious、uh, exchange back and forth.、Uh, you know, Japanese monks going to China to study. We talked about Saicho and uh,、um, Kobodaishi uh, or Kukai uh, before,、uh, and also Chinese monks and Korean monks coming over to Japan.、Uh, you know, so that's the nature of, of, of exchange up until we, we hit the 1260s. And Of course, what's going on on the continent at this time is the Mongols have、uh, taken over in,、uh, in Asia、um, in 1263.、Uh, Kublai Khan completes the conquest of the northern Sung uh, and uh, is you know, receiving tribute from Korea. Korea,、uh, he marries off, I think, his daughter、uh, to the Korean king. Probably one of his hundreds of daughters.、Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, so he receives you know, the tribute of the Koreans. They fall under the Mongol sphere of influence. And so,、um, towards the end of the 1260s, he's, he's looking out further and sees Japan and、um, wants to bring them into the fold. So, in 1268, he sends the,、uh, the first embassy from,、uh, uh, from the Mongol court,、uh, goes to Uh, Japan is received first at Hakata、uh, and then sent to、uh, Kamakura.、Uh, and Japan's, the Hojo are not really receptive,、uh, yeah. you might say. <laughs> but I couldn't tell, they, they seem to be scared, but I, it almost seemed to be like they're said, well, like, okay, let's just ignore it, maybe it'll go away. 
That's right. And, that, and that's the impression I get as well, is that, I mean, because nothing really, they didn't really do anything, you know, to demonstrate uh, defiance or anything. They just kind of said, okay, well, that's great. You know, the, we'll get back to you. Yeah, the envoy came, and, and the message that was carried was, you know, we want friendly relations with you. Uh, we want to trade, we want this, and oh, by the way, if you don't give us what we want, bad things will happen to you. <laughs> right. So, you know, I suppose for a, for a Mongol, that's uh, pretty subtle, but um, anyway, so, so, you know, 1268 was the first uh, envoy from Kublai's, Kublai Khan, and then in successive years, a couple more come. Uh, each of which are pretty much ignored by the Japanese uh, in the sense of no reply really given. Uh, but they, they, they understand that there's a threat, and they understand yeah, they were, that... they were that, sort of preparing. Yes, that, okay, preparing. something might happen, so we should get something together. Uh, in 1274, we have, uh, after a year of preparation in the Korean Peninsula, uh, the first Mongol invasion force comes. Uh, and there, there's... There's varying reports on the size and composition, but, you know... It was like a ballpark figure there? Yeah, it was about 450 ships uh, with 15,000 Mongol troops and uh, an equivalent number of Korean support personnel is, is the description that in the source that I'm looking at right now. But, you know, I think, I think the Mongol invasions is probably a good topic for to get its own oh, podcast in the future. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll save the nitpicking on details for right now. But um, so approximately, you know, fifteen thousand Mongols, fifteen thousand Korean support. And that includes like the the sailors on the ships and and, and and all that stuff. So a large force, but not overwhelming by any means. Right. Um, and of course, they come. Uh, they quickly take uh, Ikishima and uh, Tsushima. Uh, the islands in between Korea and Japan, uh, and then land in uh, Hakata Bay. Uh, and there's some initial uh, fighting. Yeah. Two things. I, it wasn't clear to me. Maybe you'll, maybe you can clear this up. Um, okay. How long was this first? Were they? Was it literally a single day, and then they were wiped out, or were they there for a longer period of time? Uh, the first one, it, it's never clear to me. Twelve seventy-four. Five. The as I know, it was a day. <coughs> really? It was yeah. one day and they yeah. took off and... Oh, okay. Then the other one... Well, that's the way it's presented in here. Of course, this is Sansom, and I don't... I don't. I mean, I've got Conlon's book on it at the house that I'll, I'll read later on in the semester. So, yeah, they... Um, the short version of what happened with this 1274 inv- invasion is that uh, they, they land at Hakata Bay. Hmm. Um, they meet some initial resistance from the local... the local warriors... There, I believe, um, Sansom has the Otomo listed as, as the ones in charge in the area. There's some fighting, but there's nothing really conclusive. Uh, and the Mongols decide that because the weather is turning bad, they do not want to be caught on the shore where they can be victims of, of a night attack by the Japanese. Uh, so they reboard their ships uh, to spend the night. A big storm comes in uh, as the weather worsens and disperses the the fleet, uh, and they lose um, the majority of their force uh, due to the the bad weather. This is the the first smaller 
kamikaze, kamikaze so to speak. Yeah. Air quotes, um, kamikaze. Yeah, which which is interesting. I mean, everybody's familiar with the term kamikaze because that's how it was, uh, you know, it was uh, it was applied to the uh, Tokotai in World War II, the special attack forces uh, of Japanese aviators who crashed their planes into American ships. Right. But, um, at in at the time. And in documentation of the time, it was not read as kamikaze, it was read as shimpu. Hmm. Uh, so uh, when speaking about the, the divine wind that came and, and destroyed the Mongols, that's what, you know, that's actually how it's read in the Chronicles, it's hmm. the shimpu. Well, I did want to uh, make a comment here. Sure. You, you know, you hear a lot about how, oh, the Japanese were... were Probably would have been defeated in this first attack because right. they would walk up and say, "I am. My name is this. I am the grand, the son yes. of this, the grandson yes. of this, and this is my lineage." And but meanwhile, five thousand Mongol arrows are coming down at the guy. But yeah. the impression I, I actually get is that has nothing to do with it. That maybe this was sort of the the idealized version from a war, the war tales. But the impression I got was simply was a lot more simple. The Japanese weren't used to fighting in formation. And the right. Mongols were, and so they were. So when they say individual combat, they're they're just saying they weren't they weren't fighting in formation. They were just like I'm going to run up and kill this guy or whatever, and they're just scattering around. That's the impression I got. Right. I didn't get the impression that they're all walking out in front of an army of charging Mongols saying. Um, I have not read it yet, but one of the books that I'll be reading for my class this semester is uh, In Little Need of Divine Inf- Intervention, uh, which is Thomas Conlon's work on the Mongol invasions and the. Well, the title implies yeah. that because it was not even necessary to the, fight off the Mongols. The, um, <laughs> he, he bases it off of the, uh, the, the scrolls that uh, Takenaka, uh, or Takizaki, Takizaki Suenaga, excuse me, Takizaki Suenaga uh, had commissioned uh, as evidence of his right. exploits uh, with now, fighting the Mongols. 1274 so, or 1281? I believe this is the 1281 okay. uh, invasion, but um, anyway, a large portion of the book is devoted, uh, or it, my understanding, anyway, uh, so I'm excited to read it, uh, is about how you know the, the differences in fighting and how you know how they matched up and so forth. So I'm excited to read that, and I encourage anybody who's looking at you know who wants to know more about it to check that book out. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. I think um, my impression from different things I've I've read is that uh, individually, you know, in a one-on-one matchup, the the Japanese, the samurai. Had by far an advantage because they had better, you know, better swords, better melee weapons, you know, and and so forth. But there was a difference in the way that they approached combat. You know, they they individual fighting versus. And, yeah, I think if the Mongols uh, had tried to versus, invade uh, Sengoku Japan, they they would have been pushed right off the shore. Well, yeah, that wouldn't have been a. Yeah, but um, I, I don't think I think that uh, one of the things that you also have to keep in mind is that you know the Mongols are landing in, in boats uh, and it takes time to get set up and fight in a group format so right. again this is not my you know these are not battles that I've looked at in any depth so I don't really feel qualified to say this is the way it was or this is the way it wasn't but yeah I mean I, I think there's a lot of things that are there as literary device the naming of uh, you know there's question uh, by some historians that uh, the naming of lineages before Fighting ever took place, not even I against really the Mongols. I, but, I don't buy it. Um, so at least know, not even, and even you know, back in the ten hundreds, did, did 
they ever do that. Um, you know, that they yeah, may simply something. have only been a literary device in the war tales yeah, that's, that's to identify like. who you know, who was who was fighting at the oh, time. Oh, that's so, a good, that's an interesting point. Um, yeah, yeah, so, you know, I mean, I don't know, um, I don't, I, I don't know, different times, maybe, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, just, it, it just seems odd to me that you would literally, you would have, a, have Mongols charging up the beach or whatever, then you step in front and say, I am this guy, descended from this guy, and these while while they're screaming Mongols. I think even if that were the standard way of fighting at, in Japan uh, up until this point, I think you know after the first guy who did that was riddled with uh, <laughs> Mongol arrows, I, right. I, I think they would have probably, probably yeah. said, well, "Let's not do that anymore." You know, I mean, for all the characterization we have of the you know the romantic characterization we have of, of the Japanese samurai they they were an eminently practical bunch oh yeah you know hence our uh, samurai yeah, behaving badly that's right podcast. so so i don't think that would have lasted very long anyway so the point is that the the first invasion didn't last very long um, and was was repulsed and you know a landing force of 15,000 troops even if they were substantially better at fighting in formation than than the uh, than the Japanese and and you know had the tactical advantage because of that you know eventually they would have been pushed out because yeah, you know, fifteen thousand isn't that much yeah was their plan to establish a beachhead and then bring over the goats and the pigs and build a little Mongolian village who, who knows and, and you know, maybe they felt that fifteen thousand was enough to raise enough terror and and scare the Japanese into submission I, you know hmm. I, it, it's hard to know. Um, at least in the limited reading that I've done. Anyway, that ends, that's in 1274, and then uh, 1281, the Mongols come again. In the meantime, they've been busy... Uh, building walls. And build, well, destroying the southern Sung. Oh, uh, I was finishing the conquest of China. Side, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they, you know, it takes them uh, seven years before the Mongols uh, put together an invasion force and come back. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to mention, too, who was the brilliant strategist who said, "Let's let's go across the uh, sea in the dead center of, you know, hurricane season"? Uh, I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, um, you you know as well as I do that 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 from about uh, from Ju July or August all the way till yeah, the, uh, from having lived in November, in yeah. Kyushu, we both are familiar with that. It, um, yeah, you get ridiculous number of storms. I, I don't know, probably the same guy, uh, you know, or uh, <laughs> probably this. Guy, somebody who took the same inspiration as as you know the Spanish admiral who decided to take his his uh, armada up against uh, the English and get destroyed by uh, storms in the 15, 1580s, whenever that was. But um, I mean, you know. Anyway, twelve eighty one, uh, the Mongols put together two forces, uh, one that's based out of uh, China and comes uh, across the north, and then one that uh, comes from Korea. So. Um, you know, I'm pulling this out of Sansom right now, but it, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll cover this in detail with more up-to-date sources at a right, later right. time. But this is just our, our yeah, overview. yeah, just so that people have a basic idea. Um, two two Mongol fleets uh, came in 1281 uh, and landed in Japan in June. The first one was uh, approximately 50,000 Mongols and Koreans coming from uh, Korea. 
And then the next, the other one was uh, about a hundred thousand Chinese uh, coming from southern China. So Chinese that had been pressed into service uh, to uh, in, into the Mongol army. That the, always makes for an effective war. Yes, uh, yes, that always works works <laughs> well. Um, the Korean fleet landed in Kyushu on June twenty third, uh, and the uh, the one coming from China landed a little bit later, and they they all landed in uh, Hakata Bay and set up. Uh, set up positions. The, now, in the meantime, since 1274, the Japanese had been setting up uh, defenses and uh, provisioning the area, uh, and this actually was taken very seriously by the Kamakura government. They had uh, not only put levies on the local Shugo in, uh, in, Kamak- in, sorry, in Kyushu, uh, but uh, were, were taking uh, you know, raising defense taxes across the country to provide support. They were uh, sending troops to do guard duty mm. along the, uh, the beaches. Now, for whatever reason, Hakata seems to be the place that attracts everything. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you're, fly- if, you're, if you're coming in a fleet from southern China, I would think that you could land wherever you wanted, but for whatever reason, they yeah. went right back to the same place. So it kind of made it easy for the for the Japanese. Um, yeah, they could have they could have come right up under Nagasaki to Kumamoto and just kind of they, waltz right they, into. They, uh, they could have, or they could have just bypassed Kyushu and uh, Shikoku. I mean, no, they could have done. You know, yeah. they could have done any of that. But for whatever reason, they went right back to Hakata. Now the Japanese fortified Hakata, set up walls. Uh, so even though the Mongols were able to get a toehold onto onto on Kyushu uh, at Hakata, they weren't able to advance inland very far. Um, at this point, this this uh, invasion lasted a lot longer, didn't it? Yes. Now it doesn't say. Well, yeah. Um, Sansom here says that it lasted around fifty days, hmm. so almost two months. <clears throat> we do know from different scrolls and different documents uh, that, uh, you know, the Japanese did uh, launch ships to attack the the Mongol fleets. Yeah, Takezaki uh, Suenaga was one of them. They yes, were, they that's, would that's... Paddle out in little boats. They would paddle out in little boats, and um, there were there are instances recorded where they would, uh, you know, sneak out there in the middle of the night, decapitate on, yeah. the entire crew in, uh, in their sleep, uh, and then the Mongols would... Uh, you know, on other ships would wake up in the morning and find a ship in the middle of their fleet <laughs> where nobody had any heads. Um, they would, uh, you know, sneak like out there and light things on fires. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I mean, seriously, that, that was a uh, significant uh, oh, yeah. psychological warfare. Yeah, yeah it was guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, anyway, they, they, you know, the fighting went on for about fifty days, uh, and then, of course. The more famous of the two, uh, Kamikaze or Shinbu, uh, storms comes up since they landed. At, this would be this would have been in August, approximately. Uh, well, right, the, right, the, the height of, of typhoon season. Right in the dead center of typhoon season. And Do you think one of the Koreans would have mentioned that? You, know? you, yeah. <laughs> you guys might want to go in in May. Yeah. <laughs> Let's think about this now. So anyway, you know, big typhoon comes, scatters the Mongol fleet. Uh, they lose over four fifths of their 150,000 uh, troops, so on and so forth, and you know melt away and are never never come back. Uh, is essentially how 1281 ends. So 
Yeah, and so you know, you might you kind of get the impression that these invasions were very short. The first one seemed to be pretty short. The second one was actually quite long. Right, and and the Japanese, to their credit, you know, if they were able to keep them from landing in significant force for fifty days, um, yeah, I mean, they, they did probably they did a good job of, yeah. uh, of of defense. Uh, so I mean, I think I think it's fair to say that they weren't necessarily. Uh, saved by the, the divine wind, like like the the stories say, but that's the impression that uh, that is left in, through the chronicles and through history. Yeah. So anyway, however, you know, as for as good a job as they did, this was a serious uh, burden on the Kamakura government. They had to, right, right. Um, you know, not only plan the defense, but they had to pay for it. Uh, they had to uh, pay, you know, provide the resources to uh, build defensive positions and, and most importantly they had to dole out obligatory rewards for the that's warriors. right and see this is where I was talking about before when with the uh, Jokyu uh, disturbance once once that ended they were able to hand out the confiscated lands as rewards to their own followers well you've just defeated an invasion a foreign invasion force you didn't take anybody's land right so there's nothing else to dole out and this um, and you know the, the gratitude of your country really right. didn't count. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's not like when the army sends me to Afghanistan, they 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 can say thank you and you know slap me on the back, and I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, that's, yay. That's, you, they um, don't give you any lands. <laughs> they didn't give me any land. Yeah, they didn't give me any land in Afghanistan. Would have been nice. Well, not in <laughs> Afghanistan. But, um, but uh, yes. Anyway, so yeah, you've just successfully defeated. An invasion force, but you really don't have anything to give as reward to the to the guys who did the fighting, um, and that's why we have things like the uh, Takizaki Suenaga scrolls, whatever it is. Right. These were uh, written as documentation, so to speak, of this is what I did for you. You know, he had these drawn up so that he could take them to the Kamakura Bakufu. And I believe he travels all the way to Kamakura. Yeah, I think they don't, the they story don't even, correctly. Something like they don't even bother to see him or something. Yeah, um, correctly. you know, he's trying to get paid. He's got to get his money, yo. Yeah, it's on a paper chase to That's all the way right. to Kamakura. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, but the, the important thing to remember is, okay, so the, the Mongols are defeated, but the Japanese don't know this. You know, the Kamakura Bakufu keeps up the defenses in Kyushu for another 20 to 30 years. Right. Um, so this continues to be a strain uh, on them. So anyway, so this sets the stage for, as we get into the 1300s, um, increasing dissatisfaction with the Kamakura Bakufu um, because... You know, they have this they've, large. They've, they've created this culture of right. reward. Uh, yes, this, they've created this culture they, where you know their job is to ensure that that warriors who provide service get rewarded uh, through land. Yeah, so they basically by creating this culture, they kind of screwed themselves in the long run. Yes, even though it they out. could not provide these rewards in the right. aftermath of the Mongol invasions, um, and so this this starts the dissatisfaction by a large uh, portion of their. Constituency, if you will, they're you know the warrior, uh, the warrior uh, factions that that make up their their base. So, yeah. So eventually, this is capitalized on. You know, um, about a hundred years after the Jokyu War in in 1333, we have another emperor who decides that it's time to push back against Kamakura uh, and restore the imperial legacy, and that is Go Daigo. And, right. and we'll hear more about that. 
uh, in the next, in the podcast. next podcast. So that basically wraps up the Mongol invasion uh, podcast, just to, to kind of give a brief overview of the history there. And then, of course, next time we'll, we'll be coming back with uh, Emperor Godaigo's rebellion. Right, the Kemu Restoration, as, right. it, as it were. And uh, again, if you uh, check, check the podcast blog, we'll have a list of uh, you know sources and other books that you might be interested in looking at. And if you want to reach us, you can get us at Samurai Archives on Twitter. And you can also reach us at samuraipodcast at gmail.com. Or on the Samurai Archives message board. Yes. And then uh, also, of course, there'll be links to uh, some of these books at the Samurai Archives bookstore. So if you're going to buy them anyway, go buy them through there. Help us keep the lights on here. That's right. And uh, also, yeah, please um, you know, send us any questions or comments or uh, corrections or gripes, complaints, whatever you got. Send it our way. Uh, We'd love to hear from it. And that's a wrap.